Maine's Political Pulse is made possible by those who listen and by Lee Toyota of Topsum, featuring the new all-electric Toyota BZ4X, available for test drives. LeeToyota.com. Welcome to Maine's Political Pulse. I'm Steve Missler, Maine Public's chief political correspondent, alongside fellow politics reporter Kevin Miller. This week, we're taking a look at an arcane but consequential practice in the Maine legislature. It involves lawmakers submitting placeholder bills that purport to tackle big issues, but are void of any details that might inform the public of their purpose, price tag, or impact. These bills, known as concept drafts, seem to be becoming more common, but critics say they short-circuit the legislative process and reduce transparency in the crafting of laws. We owe an obligation to the public to stop these concept drafts. I want to explain why this bill was submitted as a concept draft. Sending us a concept draft makes it very, very difficult. Basically, you're asking us to write a bill. Uh, You know, to just say no concept drafts, I think is not uh, appropriate either. This is a lot of power that the legislature has. It affects people's lives. It affects the way we live. It affects things that are important to us. And we owe it to the public to make sure that they have an opportunity to have their voices heard. Kevin, concept drafts or placeholder bills have been around the main legislature for as long as both of us have been covering it, but I've never seen as many of them as we have the past couple of years in this legislative session in particular. It not only caught our eyes, but the attention of a lot of other people who've been working around the state house for a long time. We're expecting about 2,000 bills this session, and only 450 have been printed so far. But we did an analysis this week, and as of Thursday, 125 of those 450 bills were concept drafts. That's 28%. And all we know about these bills is basically what we can glean from so they're sometimes very vague or nebulous title. There's no actual language yet. Uh, now, we could and we probably should see that percentage come down as more bills are printed. But if we continue at this pace, we'll, we'll zoom past the number of concept drafts that were introduced in the last session. And that number was more than double in each of the five previous legislative sessions. Yeah, and there's a few reasons why this spike grabbed our attention. First, it raises questions about why there are suddenly so many of these concept drafts. Second, we're seeing concept drafts on potentially big consequential issues, such as education curriculum, the housing shortage, election laws and procedures, you name it. And third is that this is a governance issue that deals with transparency in the legislative process in the public's ability to observe and participate in that process. And one thing that's unique about bills in the main legislature is that virtually all of them get a public hearing, but it's tough to have a public hearing when all you have is a bill title. I mean, this is a legit concern because uh, we're talking about potential laws here. Uh, the way the process usually happens is lawmaker comes up is a lawmaker comes up with an idea for a bill, oftentimes at the request of a constituent, and then they work with the nonpartisan analysts and other experts to craft kind of the legalese, if you will, that would be incorporated into to Maine's law books. That bill then gets printed, is posted online, and anyone who wants to testify in support or opposition to the proposal, or even just to share their insights or suggestions, they can do that during a public hearing, or in writing, before or after. But these concept drafts are typically only one line. For example, there's one bill this session that says, quote, this bill would reform education. That's it. <laughs> and you know what we, we, what we see time and time again is the full language of the bill 
often isn't released until the day of the public hearing, and sometimes not even then. So you get these situations where citizens, trade groups, nonprofits, and anyone who would have a vested interest in a topic, they have no time to digest what the sponsor is actually envisioning. And uh, some lawmakers, like Republican Senator Rick Bennett of Oxford, they're concerned that this trend is, is not serving the public well. We owe it to the public to make sure that they have an opportunity to have their voices heard, to have their input resonate, and for them to be properly and, and productively engaged in our, this important work. We serve them. Kevin, Senator Bennett isn't the only one who has a problem with these concept drafts. I've I think I've heard more people grumbling about them in the past few weeks than I ever have. Yeah, I think you and I have had multiple conversations now with these people, and some of whom actually approached us. And, and people are talking about it to legislative leaders as well. Um, I talked to Dana Connors, who will soon be retiring after 30 years heading the Maine State Chamber of Commerce. And Dana says this glut of concept drafts is getting out of hand. And Dana was careful to point out that he wasn't pointing fingers at anyone, but he says that these concept drafts should be an exception. And right now, he said this issue really needs attention. Well, it's interesting because Dana's observation, and we, I saw an example of that or heard an example of that just yesterday. There was a bill in front of the Energy and Utilities Committee that was dealing with the, a rebate program for EV heavy trucks. And it was a concept draft. And then the sponsor of that bill did not provide the language until just before the public hearing. And so you had people standing up and basically saying, well, we think we support this bill, but we have a lot of questions. And now that we're seeing the actual language, we have some serious concerns. So you almost have to wonder, what is the value of a public hearing in which people are offering qualified support and not informed support? But Kevin, you talked to Senate President Troy Jackson about the proliferation of concept drafts and to be clear, he can't control the volume of these things under the current rules. But what was his take on why we're seeing so many of them? It, well, he's certainly noticed this flood of concept drafts, but he thinks, or at least he hopes, that it's an anomaly that has more to do with the timing of the way the bills are emerging from the drafting office. In some ways, that probably makes sense. What President Jackson says uh, is he's, he's aware of the concerns. And he's telling lawmakers they need to put more work in to avoid a concept draft whenever possible. And then when it's not possible, he wants to make sure that language is available to the public well before the public hearing. But we're going to keep a real tight eye on it. And, uh, but I, I, you know, to just say no concept drafts, I think is not uh, appropriate either. It's not just Democrats that are using the concept draft method to submit bills. This is truly a bipartisan tactic. But that, along with the fact that we're seeing these used in big bills or on big issues, makes me wonder if this is truly an anomaly or actually a trend. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with concept drafts after this first session and whether legislative leaders back a rule change that might tamp down the volume a little bit. But for now, it looks like they're here for the remainder of the session. Yeah, President Jackson told me that he's not going to eliminate uh, concept drafts like Senator Bennett has recommended because he says they often serve a purpose. Um, and they do. But he says he wants lawmakers to be, quote, more judicious in using them. Okay, well, let's pivot to some recent elections in the main Democratic and Republican parties. Kevin, obviously, the parties had widely different results in the 2022 election. Democrats far exceeded expectations, not only defending incumbents like Governor Janet Mills and Congresswoman Shelley Pingree and Congressman Jared Golden, but also maintaining their majorities in the legislature. 
it was not so great for Republicans. And we saw that reflected in last week's election of party chairman Joel Stetkis, a former state representative from Canaan. Yeah, that's right. Uh, last weekend, former Representative Stetkis defeated uh, Demi Kazunas, who had served as chairwoman of the main Republican Party for the past six years. You know, as you noted, Republicans didn't fare well at all in this past election. I mean, uh, Republican former Republican Governor Paula Page lost by more than 13 percentage points to Mills in what we all expected or what's supposed to be a close race. What does this mean for the main GOP? It, and I don't know what your thoughts are on it, but it, it could be a sign that the party's activist base is moving away from LePage, who has really dominated the party since 2010. And a lot of the people in leadership positions were close allies of LePage. But uh, Stedkiss' election you know, certainly does not seem to signal that the party is tracking towards the middle at all. Uh, as a legislator, he was a consistent, very conservative voice and was actually a strong supporter of LePage. And in his first statement, he talked about how Governor Mills and progressives were causing, quote, destruction in Maine. Yeah, to your point, I don't, I don't see a, a ch- necessarily a change in uh, philosophy or ideology in the party with, that, with this change in leadership. And it's also a big question to me whether a change in leadership will actually reverse its fortunes. On, on the other side of the aisle, Democrats actually pretty much kept to the, the same basic leadership structure in place. They elected Bev Uhlenhake as uh, chairwoman, and she had been serving as vice chair. The former chairman, Drew Gatine, has moved over to the legislature. So they did well in the elections, and they, they kind of kept the same leadership structure in place. But uh, speaking of, of uh, political leaders, you know, we, we learned last week that the main office of attorney general is weighing criminal charges stemming from a failed ballot initiative that would have blocked non-citizens from voting in municipal elections. Yeah, now it's not clear who was at the center of this investigation, Kevin, but a spokesperson for the AG's office confirmed to Maine Public last week that it is underway before declining to comment any further. This probe stems from a referral by the Secretary of State's office, which found during its review of signatures that at least one petition submitted by the We the People Political Action Committee that's the one that was organizing this referendum, uh, was, quote, rife with fraud. Now, the We the People PAC is controlled by Maine House Minority Leader Billy Bob Fockingham, but we should be very clear that there is no indication so far that he's the focus of this AG's investigation, and we have no idea if the AG will even pursue criminal charges against any of the PAC's consultants or vendors. The reason this is even in the news is that Secretary of State Shana Bellows mentioned the investigation during this briefing before the Veterans and Legal Affairs Committee last week when she was discussing litigation brought by the We the People PAC, which had sued the state over a rule that barred out-of-state signature gatherers. Now, the state is working on a settlement with the group after it successfully challenged that rule in court, so we'll have to keep an eye out on both of those issues. As we talked about last week, there are actually several uh, fraud investigations uh, ongoing right now involving petition signatures. Well, that's reporter Kevin Miller, and that's Maine's Political Pulse for this week. A reminder that you can subscribe to The Pulse wherever you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at mainepublic.org pulse. I'm Steve Missler. We'll talk to you again next week on Maine's Political Pulse. <laughs>